Thanks so much for joining us on our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that this message encourages you, equips you, and inspires you as you continue to daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. God bless you. Welcome. Today we're going to be speaking about uh, Luke, in Luke 26 through 39. We're going to be talking about the demon-possessed man. Uh, but before we get into scripture today, I think it's important always when we look in scripture to see where we're at. Because so much of the time and we just jump around. So just kind of like to let set the scene a little bit. So right now in Jesus' ministry, he's already called the 12 disciples. He's had the Sermon on the Mountain, which was hugely successful, I guess we could all say. Thousands and thousands of people were drawn to Jesus because of that sermon. Uh, through the healing, through his words, people were really starting to be drawn to Jesus. And then recently, to show the power that he has from God, he has been doing several miracles. Specific miracles to show that God is in him and he has the power of God. He raised a widow's son back to life recently, demonstrating his power over death. A sinful woman, I don't know if you remember this woman, he, she had the perfume and she anointed his, his body with this, this perfume that was really expensive that the disciples were like, why did you waste? But he, anoint, he was anointed with that perfume and he forgave her sins, showing that Jesus had the ability and the authority to forgive sins. Now in the backdrop of the Sea of Galilee, uh, these people just continue to come to Jesus. Crowds are coming to Jesus. He's kind of with the backdrop of the Sea of Galilee right behind him. People are just continuing to come because... The words he is teaching, the miracles that uh, he's, he's doing, people are just really being drawn to him. So then out of nowhere, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go to the other side. He doesn't give a reason. He just says, let's go. So they set sail across the Sea of Galilee, and there's a bad storm. During this bad storm, the disciples all think they're going to die. So they wake Jesus up, and Jesus comes, and he calms the storm demonstrating that now Jesus has power over nature as well. So he's demonstrated the power over death, the power to forgive sins, the power over nature. And today, as we look at Luke, uh, Luke, we're going to see that he has authority and power over demons as well. So if you could please stand with me. We're going to start out just by reading Luke 8, 26 through 29, and we'll get to the others as we come upon them. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake of Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he, met, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting out the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Lord, thank you for your word. Just ask that the word spoken by me is not for me, but from you, God. No one really cares what I have to say because what you have to say is what we're here for today. So God, just be with us. We know you are. Uh, direct us, soften hearts today, that they may receive the message. 
as we'll see later in the message, that's a really important thing to have a soft heart when you come to Scripture. So Jesus, uh, do a mighty work in your mighty name. So we're going to start off looking at Luke 26 through 27. And what we see here is Jesus is on the move. So the, the, the area that he's going to of the Gerasenes is really not an area that Jews should be going to. And because it's considered a very unclean area for several reasons. One is this is full of Gentiles. And Jews really aren't supposed to associate with Gentiles at the time. Uh, so it's not really a place you should be going. And also... There's pigs there, too, as well. So these are unclean animals we're going to see, and Jews were not supposed to associate with pigs, but yet he goes there anyway. We're also going to see Jews is, uh, Jesus is going to go to the graveyard, and Jews at the time were, not supposed, were supposed to stay away from graveyards, and even people coming from graveyards because they were seen as unclean. But yet here Jesus was. And of course, Jews should have stayed away uh, from anyone who was demon-possessed, but yet here Jesus stood. So now if the Pharisees had seen what Jesus is going, they would have really flipped out, right? So they had a problem with Jesus being with uh, sinners that were Jewish, right? So now he is with pigs in tombs with Gentiles. Really, really a bad situation. The Pharisees had been there. They would have really flipped out. But Jesus was looking for someone. And to get the full picture of this man that they were looking for, we need to look at all three accounts in the gospel. Mark 5, 3 through 5 says, This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Luke adds in 827, for a long time this man also didn't wear clothes. Matthew actually says there's two men, but we're just going to focus on what Jesus did, not necessarily if there's one or two. Uh, that's the main thing we're looking at today. And then uh, Matthew 828 says there, they were so, he was so violent that no one could pass even that way. So this man was pretty scary, right? He's really the last person you want to see coming out of the movies late at night or walking down an alley is not the guy you want to encounter. If he was in your community, you'd try to get rid of him. And if he was your next door neighbor, you'd probably feel like you're living in hell. Uh, he was a public nuisance. And if you had kids at the time, you're going to tell your kids, stay away from this guy. Get it, stay, do whatever you need to do. Go the long way around to the, wherever you're going, but stay away from this guy. Because he's crazed, right? He's possessed with demons and he's full of sin. He would cry out night and day. He lived in tombs, and he was strong enough to tear chains and break irons. These chains could not hold him. Nobody could really even subdue this guy. They would put guards on him too, and they couldn't stop him from getting out. And God knows what he must have ate to uh, sustain himself. Uh, and he was also constantly cutting himself. So he would take a stone like this, and what he would do is he would just slice at his skin. Like, why would he do that? Well, we're created in the image of God. So, so by defiling his, the body he was in, he was defiling the, trying to defile the image of God. So it, being that, he, not only was he naked, but he probably had scars and cuts and wounds all over his body at different stages of healing. Because 
he was constantly cutting himself. So needless to say, people avoided him at all costs. For the man that was there, what was left of him, I'm sure it was a lonely existence. He was isolated. He was alone. Except for the demons that who possessed him. And however crazy that this man seems, remember that we all need Jesus and we are all lost without Jesus. Now this man was in the roughest of situations, but at first glance it might be like you can't really relate to this guy. This might be the hardest guy for you to relate to in the Bible because none of us here is in the exact same situation, right? None of us are necessarily possessed by demons. It's pretty probably safe to say we're, we're not. But we need to all still be just on guard as this man was. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need him today just as much as this demon-possessed man. The, the level of sin or demon possession does not mean that you need God, you need Jesus more or less. We all need Jesus just as much as this man. Because without Jesus, all is lost in sin. Romans 6, 23, 23, for the wages of sin is death. We may not be possessed by demons, but without Jesus, we are just as lost. Rather, demons possessed or lost in sin, our destiny is certain. Without Jesus, we're headed to hell. See, we're born into sin. Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Nobody had to teach us how to lie. Nobody had to teach us how to cheat. We never needed to learn how to sin, right? Unfortunately, since the, the fall, sin comes without effort. It's easy. It's easy to worry, worry and live our lives glorifying ourselves and ignoring God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we battle this battle with sin every single day. And without Jesus, we can't expect to win. We can try to resist it. We can try to hold firm. But resistance is really hard. And we're not even supposed to resist it alone because we're supposed to rely on Jesus. Where sin, sin is really super easy. It takes no effort to sin. And sin is always calling. The enemy is always at work. And we can sin without trying. Today, people get backslid and they get trapped in that sin. They were once maybe walking with Christ really well, but then all of a sudden, sin kind of overtakes them and they pull back. They stop coming to church as much. They stop reading the Bible as much. And sin kind of changes them up like this man was changed. And they end up being trapped in their sins. And when people are in that situation, just like this man... They are stuck feeling isolated and alone. And I have to tell you, that's the worst place you can be as a Christian today, is isolated alone. Because when you are, you're really vulnerable to what the enemy is going to do. You know, it's funny, today the world has never been so connected. Never so connected. But isolation and loneliness has never been so rampant. Like I said, that danger of isolation and loneliness makes us easy targets for the enemy. First Peter warns us in 
Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I'm not saying sin in isolation leads to demon possession. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we need Jesus today just as much as that demon-possessed man. We all need Jesus just as much. There's no degrees of sin. Sin is sin. Wages of sin is death. Whether you're possessed by a demon or you lie on your taxes, without Jesus, you're still going to hell. Right? And so many times we don't like to talk about sin. But sin is a serious disease. It affects every part of our lives. It affects our relationships. It affects our very heart, how we respond to people. And it definitely affects our walk with Jesus. Sin wants to destroy you. The truth is there's a constant war going on for your soul. You can deny it, you can reject it, you can ignore it, but it won't help. We need to stop acting like the enemy doesn't exist. Because whether you acknowledge it or not, the enemy wants you to spend an eternity in hell with him. He really does. He wants you to go to hell. He wants you to spend an eternity in punishment and pain. But the good thing to know is this. The good news is that we have a choice. You can either have a heart for God or a heart for the world, which is in Satan. But you can't have both. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in me. So we must resist the world, this world of self-gratification, and submit ourselves to God to have eternity with him. James 4, 7, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the enemy. Don't fight alone. Accept Jesus, your Savior, and guard your heart. Above all, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So without Jesus, we're just as long as lost as this man. I know I spent a lot of point on this, but because it's easy to skip over, oh, this demon-possessed man, I have nothing to do like, like this guy. I have nothing in common with this guy. But the, what we have in common is we are just as lost as he was without Jesus Christ as our Savior. We may not have a legion of demons, but without him, without Jesus, we have no hope. But the good news is Jesus seeks out the lost. You know, all three Gospels, uh, an account of this demon-possessed man, there, there's only one reason we can find for Jesus to go across the Sea of Galilee to this spot. There's only one thing he does there. And he goes there for this one man. Think about that. One man. He left the crowds of people, probably thousands of people on the other side of Galilee, and he gets up and he says, we got to go over there. And when he gets there, what does he do? He just helps this one man. So don't think for a moment that one man is not worth it. Because to Jesus, one man is enough. He did all this to go to a sinful and demonically possessed man. He had no special status. He wasn't a landowner. He wasn't a king. He was just a man who literally had nothing. He didn't even have his own sanity. No clothes, nothing. But Jesus thought... This man who had no worldly possessions was worth saving, and he thinks you're worth saving today, too. My God and your God went out to meet this man. He braved the storm. He left the multitudes to save this one man, because one man is enough for Jesus. 
Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up and show you compassion. Isaiah 30, 18. The lost have no greater friend than Jesus. The story of the prodigal son, we see this, right? So the prodigal son, he had an inheritance, right? He took the father, he said, Father, give me my stuff now, I want to go, I don't want to wait for you to die. He goes out, he squanders all the living, all on sinful living, but he comes to his senses, he has nothing, he's poor, he's broke, and he says, I'm going to just go back to my father, I'm going to beg for my father to take me back. Just beg just to be a servant in his house, because even his servants live better than I am. But what do we see? When the father sees the man running, coming back to him, what does the father do? The father runs to him. And that's Jesus. That is our Jesus. If we are lost, he runs to us. Don't think for a moment that he won't because the Bible is full of, full of stories where God is telling us one person is enough. One person does matter to Jesus. If Jesus went to the cross to save one person for Jesus, that would be enough. Because he loves you greater than you can even fathom. Luke 15, 20, and he rose and came to the father, but while he was still a long way away off, the father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So that's the prodigal son returning. And Jesus continues the story, talks about the lost sheep. There's a hundred sheep, but one sheep is missing. So what does the man do? He searches for the one sheep because the one sheep, once again, is enough. One person is enough for Jesus. He left the thousands on this shore that maybe he could have brought more because to Jesus even more. But this one guy was lost in his sin and demon possession, and it was enough. Nobody is too lost for Jesus. Luke 15, 7, just so I tell you, there would be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need not to repent. No sin is too big, no demon is too strong, and this is because Jesus conquers the enemy. As if we continue with the story, Mark 5, 6 through 7, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. And Matthew records it, what do you want with me, son of God? They shouted, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? The man runs out to meet Jesus. We're not exactly sure why. I've seen a couple things studying this. They think that the man, be the man saw a moment of clarity and overwhelmed the demons to come to Jesus. And then we also think that it might show an imminent involuntary submission by the demons to Jesus. But either way, this man falls at his feet before Jesus. The demons, having control of his voice, speaks. The demons knew who Jesus were. Son of the most high God, son of God, they knew him. They didn't have to look twice. They knew their time was short because they knew one day God would send, Jesus would send them to an eternity in hell. And they knew Jesus had authority and power over demons.
as the story continues, Jesus asked, what is your name? Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding here on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. There's a lot going on here, right? But a legion, legion is what he called himself. Legion in the Roman army was an attachment of 6,000 men. So there could have been as many as 6,000 demons in this man. But Mark records it as 2,000 pigs ran down the hill that got drowned. So we know somewhere it had to have been somewhere between two and 6,000 demons. Not like one or two is going to make a difference, but it's still a demon, right? But uh, that's how many demons were in this man. At least somewhere between two and 6,000 demons were in this man. And Jesus cast them out, showing that he has his authority and power over demons. Now, why did the pigs, why did, did the demons want to enter the pigs, and why did Jesus allow it? Scripture's not exactly clear here. Um, as much as I started, studied it, it's not exactly clear. Um, we don't really know why, but a couple possibilities. So, the demons wanted to destroy, if they couldn't destroy the man, they wanted to destroy another of God's creations, is one possibility. And one theory is uh, Jesus allowed it just as a visible way to demonstrate to the onlookers what was happening. Why did the pigs drown themselves? Well, they were possessed with demons, so they were crazed. Um, and the slaughter of the pigs also might show as a sign of the coming judgment of Satan as well. Even if we don't know the answer to all these questions, remember the plain things are the main things and the main things are the plain things. So let's focus specifically on what scripture does show clearly. And that's that Jesus has authority over the power of demons. So the demons are gone now. The man is free of the demons of the sin which had tormented him for so long. Now, if I had seen this, I would have expected a party, right? It's like all of a sudden, this guy who has been around us for all these times, just crazy, all of a sudden he's healed. I would have expected a party. It's kind of like the prodigal son got, right? When he returned, slaughter the fattened calf, bring my best robe, my ring, slide on that, my son, you know. You would expect that. However, the response to Jesus is not always what we expect. Luke 8, 34 through 37. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at his, Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. Like I said, these people had known this guy, right? They knew how long he had suffered. They knew how long he had been with this sickness and insanity and loneliness. They knew this guy. How could they not rejoice? How could they not be happy for this guy? Finally, John is healed. Crazy John. 
Crazy John's not crazy John. He's godly John now. I mean, their lives had been changed because of this crazy guy, right? They had to hear him scream all night, day and night, cry out. They did their best to help this guy, but they couldn't do anything. Healed. And their response, leave us. They had to go out of their way to avoid this guy. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to travel anywhere without knowing where crazy John was. I don't have a John in the house, do I? If I do, sorry. I tried to pick, tried to pick a name that I didn't think was out there. And now they come and they see that this man is sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed in his sanity and attack. You would at least expect a big, thank you, Jesus. Wow, great to meet you. How you doing? Hey, you know what? My wife is sick. Can you come into town and heal her? Hey, my friend is struggling with this. Can you come? Can you come help him? That's what we would have expected to hear. Or at least, who are you? How did you do this? Are you a prophet? Hey, tell me about the God you serve. Tell me about him. But no. They just said, get out of here. Now, there's some reasons for this, right? They, no, the, once again, this is a, there's a lot of uncertainty in this chapter, by the way. Let you know. <laughs> but there's a couple of things. They thought, one theory is that they were afraid of God's judgment. Another is that they simply didn't care about honoring God who had done this miracle. And then the third, probably, well, this is really sad to me, is that they valued the 2,000 2, pigs more than they valued this man's heart. But for not for a moment, Jesus would value 2,000 pigs over a single soul. But no matter the reason, their response was the same. Please leave. No, thank you. Just go. Now, right before Jesus had come over here, when he was preaching on the other side of Galilee, it, it seems like Jesus knew what was coming because he specifically preached something about uh, the sower. And we're going to read that next. The sower who sows seeds on good soil. We're going to talk about that because he knew what was coming next. Because this is a great example of how if it falls on bad, if, it, if his God's grace falls on hard hearts, there's no change. Mark 4, 3 through 8. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seeds, and they fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on a rocky ground where it did not much have soil, have much soil, and immediately sprang up. But since there was no depth of soil, and when the sun rose up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew, thorns grew up and cho choked it, and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and hundredfold. Although they saw the, the power of God, they saw Jesus working, they saw his authority and power over demons, and they were fine, upstanding citizens, right? These were good people, right? They had their stuff together. They had, they had a house. They had families. They were like good people, right? What the world would see as good people. But their heart wasn't right. They were the rocky and unfertile ground that the, the amazing miracle fell on. 
They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand that they were just as lost as this man possessed with demons. And they didn't know that their fate without Jesus was, this, was not a very good fate. It was going to be death. The miracles fell on hardened hearts. Confronted by God in flesh, they said, get lost. It sounds crazy, right? How could anybody witness the power of God and reject him? Well, it must have been back then, right? Because that wouldn't happen to us today, right? But I want you to think about that. If you've come to Jesus, right? If you had a situation in your life where you didn't know who Jesus Christ was and you came to Jesus, or if you had a superficial idea of who Jesus was and you got serious about Jesus, you started studying his word, think about the response to your family, that your family members and your friends had around you. Think about those people who maybe don't take Jesus as serious. How did they act? Can they not, can't wait to pay, point out your mistakes? Do they try to get a rise out of you so that you can hopefully respond in an ungodly way? Now, they too have seen what God has done in your lives. They can see the change, but they chose not to believe, just as these town folks did. They saw it, but they had no one and no part of it. I've seen this in my own life. And I can tell you quick, quickly about it. Uh, May 15, 2000, my family experienced a tragedy. My brother was in an accident uh, on an ATV up in the woods, and he did not make it. But as he laid there dying, God sent a man to him through the woods, a man that shouldn't have heard his screams, well, the screams of the, his granddaughter that was with him. But This man came upon my brother, and he saw the situation was grave. And he had only spoken to my brother maybe twice. And he didn't know where his heart was, but he wanted to give him a chance. He said, you know, Carl, I know you can't speak right now because you couldn't. He says, but I want you to hold my hand and... If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, just squeeze my hand. Steve said he almost broke his hand. Through this difficult time, God's comfort and joy was displayed overwhelmingly upon my family. I experienced God's radiance and grace shine brighter in my life than ever before during this tragedy. I was forever changed for how loving, how present, and how awesome God was during this. I will never be the same. But for others, it didn't have the same impact. They saw the same thing. And so as some grew closer to God through this, because what he had done had landed on fertile ground, 
and soft hearts. Others drew further away. It did not impact them the same. It fell on rocky a rocky path and it was just taken away. I don't understand that. How could this amazing power of God be displayed in our lives and other people not be changed? Here was this man, this demon-possessed man. People avoided it, did their entire lives. They revolved around staying away from this guy. And what did they say to Jesus? Uh, you can go. You never know what the response to the gospel of Jesus will be. You can't control how people are going to respond. But you can still tell them what Jesus has done for you. You can still tell them of your testimony. You can still tell them what he has meant to you. And nobody can argue that. And praise Jesus, the response of this demon-possessed man was quite a bit different. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all the town how much Jesus had done for him. The man was changed forever. The demons were gone. The sins were removed. This miracle landed on a soft heart for Jesus. Those who watched it, their hearts were hardened and they didn't even accept that Jesus, what he had done. All this man wanted to do then was to follow Jesus, but Jesus said no. He says, I want you to go to the Gentile area and I want you to tell them everything that I have done. This is, this is the first guy to go in the Gentile area, area of the world and praise God. From demon possession to God proclaiming, this is this man. He went out and he proclaimed the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Explaining how Jesus had the authority and the power over demons. This man was forever changed. And as we come to close, I think it's important to remember that Jesus seeks out the lost. And don't think for a moment one person is not enough. If you're seeing this online or here, if you backslidden a little bit, if you stayed away from church too long and you feel like the chains of those sins are coming in, saying, well, I can't come back to church, I've been gone too long, or, or you, know, you know, I don't need to read my Bible. I just ask you, don't listen to that. Listen to Jesus. You are enough. You're enough to, for him to drop everything, to leave thousands to come to you. Don't for a moment think that you're not enough for Jesus, because you are. If he went to that cross and died for just one person and it was you, it is enough for Jesus. Jesus has conquered the enemy. So the enemy's already lost. He's just trying to take as many people as he can. But his, <laughs> it's like a score, like a basketball game, right? They're up 50 points. Jesus is up 50 points. There's no chance the other guy's going to catch up. But guess what? He's still trying to, trying to jack up threes, still trying to trash talk, talking like he's going to win. And that's what the devil does today. He keeps thinking he's going to win. He's trying to convince you that he can win, but he can't win because he's already lost. Jesus defeated him on the cross.
So embrace what Jesus has done. Tell other people what Jesus has done. And above all, keep your heart soft. And we, the way we keep our heart soft is by reading the word of God. You can't come to church one day a week and see the miracles Jesus is doing in your life. It's not enough. One hour is not enough. Open your Bible. If, if it's your first time, open it like, oh, I, I'm going to do it every other day. Or, or, or I'm going to read three passages. Whatever it has to be, but get into the word of God. That will keep your heart soft. And you will, you will be amazed at the miracles and the power and the work you see Jesus doing in you and around you if you open his word. I'd like to close with this verse, Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't for a moment you think you're not enough. This man... This demon-possessed man was lost. But Jesus left the thousands of people to go save this one man because he knew he was enough. And if you're lost or if you know someone lost in your life, it's enough. Tell them what God's done. Keep your heart soft and praise Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for saving us and loving us no matter what we've done. Thank you for caring for us so deeply that you would go to a cross, that you would willingly, happily pay the price for our sins. We love you, Jesus. And we just ask that you would continue to make our hearts soft and fertile ground for your word to, to spring up and for us to just be like this man and witness to those people around us. We thank you. Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.